child that was known in the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Um, I'm just going to read, i got plenty of passages I could turn to. I'm just going to read one more to you. It's going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. And it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And with that, we'll pray and we'll get into our lesson for this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time together and pray that you just help us to really concrete uh, these truths deep down in our hearts. Lord, we know that you've given us the Bible, and uh, Lord, may we just trust in it, rely upon it. Lord, may we live by it, uh, because we know that it's the one thing that we need. Lord, we, we learn about salvation through your word. We learn how to live through your word. We, we know how to conduct ourselves because of your word. Lord, it's important for us, and we know that it's settled in heaven. Lord, we love you. And I pray you just help me in this time, this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. But uh, several, several things with me this morning. And uh, bought uh, this 1611 King James Version Bible. And by the way, you probably, if I opened it up to you and had you read it, for some of the words you probably wouldn't even understand because they didn't write the same way back in that time than we do today. And uh, J's look like I's and, uh, you know, the S's and F's and all of this. I mean, it's, the lettering is different. Uh, J's is more of a new modern day kind of thing. They didn't have J's back in uh, 1611 so, and so on and so forth. Also, I have some Greek text here we'll be looking at a little bit this morning. But anyway, not to intimidate you, but uh, just to kind of bring things uh, uh, to your attention. But anyway, uh, the Bible has been a, a problem seems like more and more in our day than it has in the time past. You know, one of the things, one of the, the things about the King James Version Bible, they were starting to have all these other Bibles come up. You think about the Tyndale Bible, the Matthew Bible, they had the Bishop's Bible, they had the Geneva Bible. And one of the things that they tried to do was they wanted to have one Bible for the church. And so all these translators got together. It wasn't something that King James come up with. It was a a guy by the name Dr. Reynolds, and uh, he, you know, under the commissioning of King James, uh, allowed all these 70 men to come together to bring one Bible that would be accepted by all of the churches, not just the Catholic Church, but all the churches. You know, again, they had Jerome's Latin Vulgate and other things like that, but this was the one Bible that was, seen, that was accepted by many. Now, all of a sudden, we live in a day and age where it's not accepted anymore. And what happened? I don't believe it was the fact that the King, the, the King James Bible was wrong. I just think that um, people have just gotten away from the fact that they believe that. Now, they'll say that the Bible is preserved. They say that it's inspired, but they have different meanings than what you and I would, would uh, accept. But again, this is nothing new. Uh, back in uh, 18. 1832, there was an edition printed that had Rebecca leaving her tent to meet Isaac uh, with a group of, not damsels, which would be in our Bible, it was with camels. And that would tell you that something's wrong. She didn't come with a bunch of camels, she came with her other damsels. Uh, there was a Bible printed in 1810, it read this, it says, If any man come to me and hate not his own wife, 
instead of life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we would all agree that that's wrong. You know, he didn't say, hate not your own wife. He said, hate not your own life. And uh, they, they call it the wife-hater Bible. Uh, the first English Bible to be printed in Ireland, 1716, encouraged its readers to sin on, uh, sin on more rather than sin no more. And you, you understand that, uh, that God never intended for us to sin more. Uh, we're, we're to sin less, right? And so it was this called the Sin On Bible. Uh, here's the Wicked Bible, printed 1631. Uh, the Seventh Commandment they had listed, Thou shalt commit adultery. Again, we recognize that that is wrong. Uh, the Murderer's Bible, the 19th century. It was written in Mark chapter 7, verse 27. Let the children be killed instead of let the children be filled. And again, there were plenty of Bibles just like this that was printed and not accepted by, by hardly anybody because obviously there were errors within it. But this was the one Bible that we could say was accepted and received by the church. And uh, again, there was 70 people by various different backgrounds, but they were scholars. I mean, they read the Hebrew like it was a newspaper. They conversed in Greek just like it was English. You know what I mean? And uh, they were able to, they put together this Bible, and thank God that they, they did for the common person. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't use the high English back in that day. They used the common English so that people could understand it. And uh, it, was, it was for a reason. Now, I gave you those, just those Bibles, just for a little bit of humor, because I like humor. I'm just not good at telling jokes, you know what I mean? But uh, anyway. But let me ask you this morning, how important is the Word of God? I believe it's very important, don't you? I mean, we, we, we learn about everything. And the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3.15, thou is, uh, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And if Timothy was reading through the scriptures, and of course, you know, he was a lot closer to the time frame. He, he knew the words from the Apostle Paul himself. He would understand the writings of the, the, the Hebrew Masoretic text, and he could read the scriptures. He'd been taught it from, a, from an early age all the way on up, which was able to make him wise of the salvation. And, and this is how we know about God. This is how we know about salvation. This is how we know about uh, what's right and what's wrong. Paul would tell us, he says, I wouldn't have known um, uh, anything about adultery except for the Bible said that thou should not covet, is what the Bible says. So we say, uh, and I believe it's true, that not all religions are the same, right? Catholics are, have a fundamental disagreement with Muslims. They would never agree with some of the things that they agree with in the Muslim religion, and I'm just kind of using the analogy here. Not all religions are the same. I say not all Bibles are the same. Just like Catholicism and Muslims, uh, Islam doesn't have the, the, the same foundation as far as religion goes. And just like a Jew would never accept uh, um, Buddhism, he would never bow down to the images of Buddha or what have you. They're, they're not the same. Not, I, I don't care what the coexist sticker stands for. They're just not the same. And can I say this? Not all Bibles are the same. And so we got to recognize that this morning. I recognize that uh, right after I was saved and uh, uh, when I first started reading through the Bible, I started with a New King James Version Bible. I read through it and I was studying it. And that's the one I read from John all the way to Revelation, started again from Genesis and was reading all the way back up to John. And 
uh, when I first got saved, uh, the, the guy that was teaching me memory verses, I recognized he, he had a King James Version Bible, and he was challenging me to memorize these verses. And when I would repeat them to me, he said, no, no, that, that's not right. That's not what the Bible says. And he would tell me out of the King James Version what it says. And I said, well, obviously, there, there just really doesn't seem, there, there are some conflicting things here. Uh, you know, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Uh, has different wording than, than what our Bible has. And so uh, there, there is just differences that are there. And I said, you know what? I think I'm just going to order me a King James Version Bible. And so that's what I did. That was my start. And I didn't have all the, the learning in behind it. I didn't know what textual criticism was. I didn't know any of the, uh, anything about Greek. I'd never studied it. I didn't know anything about Hebrew. I didn't know anything about the d- debates at that time. I just, like, well, maybe, maybe I'll just... Pick me up a King James Version, and, and then, so I've, I've used it ever since. Now, I'm just saying you've got to come to your own convictions. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Uh, and again, I would say that there, there's this new thing that's, that's really prevalent. If you watch anything on the Internet, you know, they'll come out with this whole King James Version oleism. Well, if it's defined the way that they define it, then I would say I'm not a King James Version oleist. Because the way that many of them define it is, they say, well, the King James Version is inspired. You know, it's to correct the Greek, and it's to correct the Hebrew, and it's to correct the original manuscripts and all that. I said, well, if that's the case, then I don't believe that. But I am only King James Version. I'm not looking for another Bible. But again, I don't believe the italicized letters that are put in there. They were not inspired. They were just put in there to smooth out the English in order for us to have it. And so I believe that's also important to recognize. But I'm, I'm not preaching out of, I would never preach out of anything else other than the King James Version. I would never really read anything else other than the King James Version Bible. And uh, that's what I hold to. But I don't believe in this whole idea of double inspiration and things like that. And so uh, just to kind of give you a little stance there. I don't know about you, but many times when I uh, get a prescription bottle from a pharmacist, and here's what many people say, well, you know, it's just not readable. Well, I've been reading it for, what, 13 years now, and I've never had a problem with it. Some words I do. But when you get a prescription bottle from the pharmacist and they hand it to you, do you recognize what all those words mean? I have no idea what some of those words mean. All I know is that's what the doctor prescribed, and that's what he gave to me. And I ask him for the instructions. They just tell me it's an antibiotic. I accept it as gospel truth, and I think that it's going to get me better, and I take it. And, you know, just following along with, with, with their orders, I, I think that it's good. They have no reason to, to doubt it, but I don't always recognize what's written on the bottle. All right? So there are some people that say that, well, we need to have uh, readability, and they'll compromise reliability for readability. Now, what's more important, reliability or readability? Uh, is it important for the pharmacist to get your medicine just right, that they don't want to add anything to that that might harm your body? I would say so. I would say reliability is important. Now, I believe that we also have the readability as well, but, you know, it's just... Uh, there are some things, and I'll confess this right off the top, there are some things that I just don't like about the, uh, the King James Version Bible, and it's the cuss words. <laughs> there weren't cuss words back in the day in which it was printed. 
And I have trouble with those words because every time that I come to them, I get nervous and I just want to skip over it all together. I don't know if you've ever had that problem, Brother, Brother Matt, but I get to that, that one word there and in the book of Hebrews, it says, we're of, they're, they're all bastards and not sons. We recognize it's the word illegitimate. And I just want to skip over that word altogether. And I just struggle with that a little bit. But back in that day, it wasn't a cuss word. It just meant illegitimate and that's the way they recognized it. I don't believe that we should hold to the Roman Catholic view where they had the Latin Vulgate and where everybody was sitting in the church pews and they had no idea what that priest was saying. I don't believe that. I believe you ought to have something in your hands that you can understand. I believe that you ought to be able to read it. It ought to be something that you can take home. And guess what? When the common person started being able to read their own Bible, they challenged the Catholic views and said, that's not what the Bible says. And all of a sudden, they had a problem on their hands. It's good for you to be able to read it. And I believe that we ought to have some readability as well. I'm not against that whatsoever. So the problem is that many of the textual scholars would not stop at just changing a few words here or there. They would just continue to change more and more to whatever fits their agenda during the time. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. Besides a few words that are uncomfortable, I can say this. I believe that it's the undisputed that we have the most accurate translation that there is. The most accurate translation. It's, and this will be for another topic at another time, but uh, when you talk about you know, formal equivalency and translating, which is word for word, and dynamic equivalency when it comes for thought for thought and things like this, th- there's a world of difference in how the scholars are translating these things. And uh, it, there is a big problem with that. I'm glad that when the King James authors, when, it, when, when the, the, the guys, the 70 translators were putting the, the Bible together, that they were translating it word for word, word for word, line upon line, precept upon precept, right? And this is the way that they were tra- translating. I like uh, what Dr. Phil Stringer, he said this. He says, the worst thing about the King James Version is some of its defenders, the reason why he says that is because some people just get hostile and they they're, they're, they're sometimes go overboard with trying to defend it. And sometimes it gets to the borderline of being legalistic. Can I say this? When I got saved, I was using a New King James Version Bible. I believe that some people can get saved. I believe that there's enough gospel in some of these other versions. They can get saved using an NIV or an ESV or one of those other Vs that they have. But I'm just saying we have the most accurate translation. Why would you want anything else? One of the things that the King James Version translators were trying to avoid is the problem that we have today, which is there are so many translations that people don't even know what is the Word of God, if they have the Word of God. And they were trying to alleviate that problem. They just wanted one Bible for, to be accepted by and received by all of the churches. And we have the exact same problem that they were trying to avoid back in 1611. Now, I confess to you uh, that, again, the 1611 Bible has undergone several changes, like four different revisions, changing some spelling. Again, the 1611 spelling is not the same as the 1624 spelling or the 17, I forget, what 17 whatever, was it 69, 1769 spelling? I mean, there, there are some changes that have been four different revisions uh, over, over the kind. But 
I say revisions, it wasn't really revisions, they were just correcting spelling and things like that. But there weren't any major changes that were going on. But again, I hold to the King James Version unapologetically. And I believe that there is a reason why we ought to come to that stance and that we agree doctrinally to it. There are certain words that we must grapple with when it comes to understanding the Bible, and I want to try to keep this as, as just really condensed as I possibly can. The, the first is revelation. Revelation. And that's what we're going to be dealing with today. Second would be inspiration. We'll have preservation, uh, canonization, the, the, the ones that we've received, the 27 different uh, books of the New Testament and all the old really are not uh, disputed at all. Um, the translation issue, the illumination and the utilization, uh, again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 through 17 says that we were used it for, for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction to righteousness, that the man may be, be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I want to break down these words to the best of my ability to, to apply it to our lives, if you will. So we're going to do this study however long that it takes. Now, here's the, the deal that I have. The issue that I take out of this. You, you can have two different views to your approach to, to scriptures. There's the naturalistic view, and there's the position like what I would take, which is faith. God said that he preserved his word, and I believe it. The naturalistic view would say, you know, we're, we're scholars and we just got to continually look for more manuscripts and more manuscripts. And if there's another manuscript that d d d denies the other manuscripts, then we got to do, do more work. If there's another word that needs to be added, maybe we got to add some words. If there's something that needs to be taken out, maybe we got to take out some words. And there's just this naturalistic point of view for, for, from scholar, scholarism or scholasticism or humanism or however you want to put it. This is what they're trying to do from this naturalistic point of view to, 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 to just continually, they're, they're never come to the point where they have a full commitment to say, we have the word of God. But for me, I say we have the word of God and I accept it and I receive it by faith. So the first view would say that, um, that the scholars are the arbitrators of truth. The scholars are the ones who determine what is true and what are not. Again, that's the naturalistic point of view. But I say that God is the arbitrator of truth. And what God says is true. And that's the way that I receive it. So, let me put it to you like this. There are some who go to the scriptures and look at this uh, world and they say, well, you know what, this world is probably a product of theistic evolution. It probably took place over thousands and thousands, of, if not millions of years, if not billions of years. And they go and they look at the scriptures, and they say, in the beginning of God, and that's the way they interpret it. Why? Because science has really become their authority and not what God says. But what I would say, and the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and I accept that by faith. Whereas they're interpreting things through science, I interpret things through what the Bible says, and that's the way that I would stand. There are those who would tell me that scriptures, um, that I, I look at scriptures with childlike faith, and I would never deny that, because I do. I just receive what the Bible has to say, whether I understand it or not. Uh, I say that uh, I'm the one that needs to be corrected, not God. Some use archaeology to try to disprove the Bible. They say, well, you know, uh, King David never existed. King Solomon never existed. There's no proof that they crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground. There's no proof of this, and there's no proof of that. 
and they try to deny through archaeology the Bible, but yet there are others who say, well, the archaeology proves the Bible. And I think it just takes man a little while to catch up to where God is. They use science to try to disprove God, and God is the one who created science, and God's not at odds with science. Because there are some people that say that you either got to believe science or you got to believe God, and a man is smarter now than what they ever have been, and so we know more now than uh, what God knew, and so there must God had this wrong and they had that wrong. But again, I say that we're just catching up to God. And I start with God to understand the science. So for everything, when you, you fall into these two, get tech, two categories of naturalism or faith, I, I side on the side of faith. Many textual critics will start with doubt. Uh, if they cannot see it, they don't believe it. So in other words, if they don't have the manuscript right in front of them, and can I tell you this? A lot of the originals, nobody has the original that Moses had written back in the Old Testament. Nobody has it. Well, how do we know that's what Moses written? Because of the scribes that kept faithful, faithful copies of the scriptures. We recognize even the Ten Commandments were kept in the ark of God. That's how much God cared about preserving his word. Um, and, they, and they faithfully would keep these accurate records of everything that God had told them to, to write down. And so that's how we have some of these. But again, I don't think many of these uh, original manuscripts, I don't believe we have hardly any of them. And the ones they do have, they're missing sections of it, and they're just trying to, uh, how, they, how they fit together as a piece of paper and, and that kind of thing. So there's a lot into this is what I'm trying to tell you. So let's start with revelation this morning. Two kinds of revelation. Uh, one is general revelation, how God uh, really unfolds, uh, reveals himself unto the people, and then we have uh, specific revelation. General revelation and specific revelation. So revelation just means really an unveiling of himself. I, I, to me, God wants to have a relationship with us, so much so that he wants to show himself, he wants to reveal himself unto us, he wants us to know him in a very personal way. And so God has told us through the scriptures that he has revealed himself a lot of, you know, through creation, Romans chapter 1, through, through conscience, Romans chapter 1, through Again, if you could go to Psalms 19, where it tells us that uh, day unto day, uh, utter his speech, and night unto night, showeth his, his handiwork. Well, let me just, I've written it down, let me just quote it here. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day, utter his speech, night unto night, showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is going through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. And in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. You say, well, Pastor, God didn't, didn't actually speak. No, but when you see something, it, it's, it's like a speech. In other words, like if, I, if Suzanne over there, she has tears coming down her eye, that's communicating something to me. She's sad. Something happened. Something moved her heart. There, there's an emotion that communicates something. And the, the, the firmament, the, the sky, the, the stars, the galaxies that are out there, it communicates something that I didn't put that up there. No man put the stars into space, and really, no man could fix it in, in the right order the way that God has fixed it so perfectly so that we might have life here on this earth. And that shows me that there is a God. It communicates something to us. 
the conscience. We find Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. For when the Gentile, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these have not the law, or a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness that their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another, and the day when God should judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Not everybody and throughout the whole world has the uh, Ten Commandments. But it seems like in several places where you go out throughout the world, there, there are many of them that know that killing is wrong. There's many of them that know that stealing is wrong. Many of them know that lying is wrong. There's a sense of morality that is there, though corrupted by the fall, uh, but there is a sense in which God has written the law in the hearts of men, in which they, they, they have a, a conviction that something is either right or something is either wrong. And it tells me God did something. God wrote a moral law in our hearts. He's able to convict us in our minds. So there's creation, there's conscience, and that's general revelation. But God wants us to know more than that, and so he gave us his word, that specific revelation. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, I read it to you. God, who at sundry times in a diverse manners, in many ways, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. The prophets, Moses, Samuel, David was considered a prophet. Uh, many of these in the Old, Old Testament, they, you know, God had given his word to, the, to them. Now, they didn't have the printed page. Uh, Moses, God was continually re revealing things unto Moses. Moses, write this down. Record this situation in, in Exodus chapter 17, what happened in Amalek and how, how uh, Amalek's going to be blotted out. I want you to write this down, Moses. In several places throughout the, the Pentateuch, you, you find that God told Moses to record certain things in which he had. Can I tell you this? Nobody was there at the creation of the world when God spoke and, it, and there was light. God spoke and there was, uh, there was a, the, the, the firmament. God spoke and there were seasons. God spoke and there were words of the air. God spoke and there was grass in the field. God spoke and there were animals. And then all of a sudden, he formed man out of the, the clay of the earth and breathed in him the breath of life. Let us make man in our image, he said. No man was there when God spoke. In that chapter 1 of Genesis. How do we know it is so? Because God told us. He's revealed his word unto us. And so in his words, he reveals himself directly to mankind. It's sad that many who claim to be Christian no longer read the Bible. Instead, they like to watch TV series to replace that with the Bible. They'll try to replace the Bible with the chosen. They'll try to replace the Bible with the passion of the Christ. I had somebody leave a message on the answer machine here. I've had this in several places. When I was down in Prosperity, this happened to me. They said, uh, we want to we, get together as a bunch of churches, and we're going to move the church service into the, the theaters, and, and uh, we're going to play this show, and people are going to get saved by the droves, and and uh, we just need to rethink this whole church thing. I won't even give it a time of day. The Bible tells us, you know, let us uh, assemble ourselves together so much more as uh, uh, the day is approaching. 
And yet we find less of that and less of that. The Da Vinci Code can't give you the words of God. God gave us a specific word, not so we can go out and watch a movie and let the movie tell us what to believe, so that we can read his word and know exactly what God wants us to believe about him and how he's revealed himself unto us. Jesus says, search the, the scriptures, not the movie theaters, all right? Search the scriptures for in them you think you have life. In fact, he says eternal. You think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me, is what Jesus said. Luke 24, verses 25 through 27, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He didn't say, go out and watch the chosen. And by the way, uh, I, I don't say that everything about what they do is, is totally bad, but I'm telling you, they mix in things that ought not to be in there, and they take a lot of liberty and putting together that show. And again, it's no replacement for the Bible. Luke 24, verse 44, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And so he writes, he, he pictures the, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. How do I know that uh, the, the, law, the, the, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, how do I know they should be in the Bible? Jesus referenced them. Jesus references them, and Jesus gives his divine approval upon them. Definition here of special revelation is the communication of divine truth from God to uh, holy men of, of God. Uh, I just, I like to use scripture, and Peter tells us over in 2 Peter chapter 1, I believe it is, uh, it says, uh, for the scriptures of no private interpretation, but holy men of old um, were, were moved by the Holy Ghost. Uh, let me, let me just write, read it here. It says, uh, Knowing this first, no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation. Again, textual scholasticism and things like that. In verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Holy men of God. I believe that God used the apostles as his penmen to give us the scriptures. Now, there, there are some that uh, we have in the Bible that are not necessarily the apostles. There's Mark. Mark was not an apostle. Many believe that Peter dictated to Mark what he ought to write down. He was a close associate, and uh, he also spent a lot of time with the apostle Paul. I think that we could take his word for it. Luke was not an apostle. But he was a travel companion with the Apostle Paul. Jude was not an apostle, but he was well acquainted with the apostles. And I believe that we could take their word for it. In fact, it's backed up through, through and, and we'll get into more of that when we come to canonization. But they were moved in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, in the same way that a ship is moved on the water by the winds and by the waves, uh, moved, superintended, uh, the Holy Spirit superintended the writing of the Holy Scriptures. So it's important for us to recognize that when we're speaking of this specific revelation that this happened over a period of years and a progressive revelation, not everything happened at one time. God would eventually, over the period of time, reveal himself. Just, you know, Adam had a little bit of revelation. The, the little bit, what we call the, 
I'm not even going to use these big words. The, the, the first gospel, <laughs> okay? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God says, uh, the, the seed of the woman is going to crush Satan's heel, head and uh, he'll bruise his heel. What little bit was revealed unto, unto Adam and Eve when they had their first child, they named it because they said, God, God has given us a man. They thought that that was going to be the Messiah. <laughs> he wasn't, but, you know, they recognized that God was going to give a savior through, through man, somehow or another. There was a revelation that was given uh, through, through the sacrifice that was given in the Garden of Eden, through the covering of the coats, through the, the, the prophecy there in Genesis 3.15. There was a little bit of revelation. Noah had a little bit of revelation. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How were men saved? By grace. That was before the law of Moses. Moses had revelation. And more and more was unfolded over time until Christ would come and step foot on this earth. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied, prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them. Again, there was a Holy Spirit uh, moving and superintending there which was in them to signify when it testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glory which should follow unto whom it was revealed, not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which were now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Under the Old Testament, there were many things which was not unveiled. They didn't understand. One of it was the mystery of the church. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, how that by revelation he made known unto me, Paul speaking, he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ which other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the, by the Spirit. But we know that eventually all of it came to a a, a close. I believe the Apostle John was the last one to, uh, to give us the last book, Revelation. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is important for us to get. It says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Again, they were doing sign gifts and things like that. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which was in part shall be done away. The way that they, they were, were, were given these words, is that, then that which was in part should be done away. When I was a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then shall I know, even as I am known. Paul said there's going to come a point where you don't need any more prophecy because you have the word of God. You have the word of God. We don't have to doubt it. We don't have to go, we're not looking for the next prophet to give us more prophecies. Muhammad, as much as uh, Islam wants to say that he was a prophet, that was no more. No more after the apostles. That's just a fact of the matter. I don't know what you do with the scriptures. And so the sign gifts, again, were only for a time to validate the gospel message until the scriptures came to completion. The majority of the Bibles have, have the view that scripture is still being found and evaluated. It seems that way to me. 
they may not say that, but again, they're, they're continually saying, well, maybe, maybe this needs to change. Maybe that's the, why you think they're coming up with more and more different Bibles. The Lego Bible, whoever thought of that. The Brick Bible, the Gay Bible, the, the, the Lesbian Bible. The, all these different Bibles that are out there. Why do we need another one? It just brings in more and more confusion. We believe that the scriptures have been completed and is, and is in full. And by the way, we'll get there, but uh, it's strange that many of these newer Bibles, and this is why I brought up these Greek texts up here, not that it makes a difference to you. I don't think any of you can read Greek, I don't think, but um, here I had marked it in my, my Greek New Testament that the book of Mark... In the 16th chapter, it has uh, all the way from verse 1 all the way down to verse 20 in the back. And you can see that in this, this Greek New Testament. And if not, I can show it to you later on, all right? And you can see there's 20 verses in there. By the way, there's 20 verses in your King James Version Bible. I get a Nestle Island 28th edition right here. This is many of the critical texts. Uh, this is what many of the Bibles are translated from, from, from this book right here. You want to know how many verses there are in the book of Mark? Verses 1 through verse 8. Verses 1 through verse 8. That's what they're translating from. They say that's the word of God. They say this doesn't matter. This is the word of God. You want to know what's in uh, verse 9? Of Mark chapter 16, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, how do you have a gospel if you don't have the resurrection? Was it just that he died and was buried? The Bible tells us over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through, through 4, not only the fact that Jesus died according to the Scriptures for our sins, he was buried, he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and he was seen of above 500 witnesses. But if you just get through one of the modern translations, say well, they, this is what they do. This is how they get around it because they know some people were just like, uh, if they don't have all, all the 20 verses in there, then they're not going to buy it. So they just put it in brackets. These are not in the oldest and best manuscripts. And so these are not to be believed, but we'll put it in there so you'll buy our Bibles. Verse 9, it has the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Below that, you have the Great Commission. Can you tell me, is the resurrection, is that a doctrine in the Bible? Is that important? Is the Great Commission important? They say that, uh, you know, the, the New Testament, the New Translations, they don't, they don't change doctrine, and they don't, they, they don't do any of these things. But can I tell you, I just proved to you they did. Even if they do put it in brackets, it shows you that they're trying to doubt the Word of God or bring doubt into the minds of the readers. It's really amazing to me what some translations have done. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as into a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So it's a very important issue, very important issue. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Whosoever there shall for break one of the least of these commandments shall teach men so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Hosea chapter, uh, let me back up. Let me go to um, Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Hosea uh, chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. And they were increased, so that they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. Why? Because they rejected knowledge. And I believe that's what's happening in many of the newer translations. Some Bible translations have caused great errors. Again, you know, even, even a little bit of change is sometimes too much. They tell me that the MEV, which is a new version, closely connected to the King James, but they even make some changes in there that uh, I've looked at and I don't agree with. The New King James Version is translated out of the same uh, Texas Receptus with a few exceptions. And they say that we ought to just receive those as just as much as the King James Version Bible. Can I tell you, here's one verse that causes me to have a little bit of concern, okay? Just from a pastoral perspective, because this can, this can be a big, big issue, Okay. And again, if you have a New King James Version Bible, I'm not the Holy Spirit. You make your own determinations, all right? But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 in your King James Version Bible, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved it is the power of God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The New King James Version, it says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are, here it is, being saved. Being saved. Is it that you are saved, or is it that you are being saved over a process? Being saved, it is the power of God. Now, again, I got saved using the New King James Version Bible. I read it for many, well, probably for a year or two. And there are slight variations, but those slight variations cause me to have personal concern. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If somebody comes to that verse and they say, Pastor, can, how, how do I get saved? And they come to this passage of Scripture, they say, well, you know, this is the preaching of the cross, is the power of God unto salvation to, to them who are saved. Or is it being saved? Being saved. Last time I checked, nobody, uh, salvation is not a process. Brother Jim O'Brien, is it a process? You either are saved or you're not. You're either a saint or you ain't, right? Then the final revelation we see of God's Son, the self-revelation. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, Jesus. 
Jesus closed the book, and he began to say unto them, This day is a scripture fulfilled in your ears. We know that Jesus Christ was a full revelation of the Father. We learn that from John chapter 1. Jesus asked Peter one time, Who do men say that I am? I, I believe that's an important question. If Jesus is just a prophet, then it means nothing in the world. I can't base my salvation off of just somebody who's a prophet. Some people say, well, you're just you're Elias or Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets, you're John the Baptist, you're one of these things. But who do you say that I am? Peter says, I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said this, he says, uh, uh, flesh and blood had not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Jesus was revealed to be the Son of God. There was the fullest revelation of God that we have. There is the, just the, the general revelation, how God reveals himself in creation. He reveals himself in conscious, specific revelation we have in his words, but the fullest revelation is what we see in Jesus Christ. I have so much more that I want to say, but I see that I'm out of time. And I just want to go through this just systematically, little bit by little bit, little bit by little bit, so that we might come to this conclusion, why, why do we believe what we believe? And again, you've got to make that determination, why do you believe what you believe? Is it because some pastor said that? Is it because some theologian said that? Or is it because God said that? Because God says his word is settled in heaven. God said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And I'm just going to base my belief off of what Jesus said. And so with that, let us uh, close in a word of prayer. Um, Brother Dennis, would you mind praying, sir? Amen. All right.